Let's go. You're listening to Making Data Simple, where we make the world of data effortless, relevant, and yes, even fun. So then where is your differentiation or where's the moat? In other words, you're doing podcasts, you're on here talking about it. Yeah. But anybody could listen into your process and say, ah, I need to do that. Do you say, fine, do it? Or do you say, fine, you can do it, but you're going to need help because we've we've gotten patents, we've gotten you know the intelligence, the experience. Now it's going to take you a while to catch up. I don't know. Do you provide a consultant fee? I mean, what's your what's your where's your mode at? Yeah. Well, I mean, at the end of the day, I, I want to I want to do something meaningful. I want to make a positive impact in the world. And for us, it's about solving housing affordability. If I don't, like, it's a big problem. I think a lot of people helping to solve that is a great thing. And so I don't hold back, right? I'm sharing everything you ask for on this podcast. I'll get into any detail you want to hear. We do have patents. We do have trade secrets. So there's some some moats there, I suppose. But honestly, that's not really the biggest moat. The, the hardest thing is just getting everyone on board and rowing in the same direction, right? So you've got, you know, to get plumbers who are used to doing plumbing a certain way to now say they're going to do a unit every five hours, they will swear at you and tell you you're crazy <laughs> and they're uninterested. And so it takes a lot of time. It takes going through exercises together because getting in the weeds and failing. And then once you fail, they all point at you and say, well, this doesn't work, but not having that tenacity to keep working through that. That's where it's hard is getting the alignment through the whole organization. It's, it's really hard. I guess it's kind of like the Warren Buffett definition. I, I'm going to butcher this, but you know, when they ask him, you know, what's his secret, he said there is no secret. You just read and you do the research and you buy at a margin of safety, and that's it. But you guys won't do it. <laughs> exactly. So, <laughs> I get exactly it. It sounds like, sounds like you've also f- followed or been a disciple of the Netflix culture deck. Uh, yes. Yep. No, that's been great. I mean, we've learned so much. We, we look at who's doing something best in the world. And so some of the culture stuff we learned from Netflix, we don't want to just look at our own industry. We want to take everything we can from other spaces and apply it to our own. This is fascinating. Listeners may want to hear about technology, Yeah, which is fine. We are a technology podcast. At the end of the day, we're in a leadership people business. It's about, like you say, getting all the butterflies to fly together, yeah. which is very difficult at times, but once you, if you can do it, the momentum, the acceleration, the fun that surrounds building a business. Oh, it's fantastic, man. There's nothing better. Uh, so tell me about the technology yeah. that is part of this transformation. Yeah. I, and I love your perspective because I, early on in my career, I kind of looked at technology and, and we built out a lot of really cool technology and I built it for building it, right? I built it because it was cool tech. But I failed to understand these bigger business principles first, which really do come first. And the technology should just serve the business and, and not uh, not trying to force its way in. When I look toward the future, some of the more exciting technology that we're working on right now is imagine being able to provide a computer a site plan. So just a map of a new site. And then that computer takes all the lessons, all the learning from engineering and architecture and all of that, and actually then generates the most optimal building, both in its design, its quality, its lowest cost. That's a hard problem to do. 
But we're breaking that down into sub-segments and we're actually executing on pieces of those. Everything from, you know, BIM, the, the building information technology that's out there. There's a lot of companies that do it. Most companies don't do it well, but having all of your building in a, in a, a system like that, being able to do collision detection, getting pricing so you make a change in your pricing flows through, getting a, a material list, delivering that then to a ordering list and a schedule and automatically creating purchase orders to this whole infrastructure. Oh, we've got software developers and engineers on staff that their whole job is to build the system that designs apartments. So that's one area that technology is interesting to us. Another area is just technology inside of a building. So you look at the Tesla bot, and I'm so excited about that. Um, but there are companies that we are working with and talking with that have, for example, an automatic painting machine, right, that can paint walls. Uh, there's equipment, there's companies that are doing automatic excavation, self-driving excavation equipment. So a guy is sitting out there with an iPad watching a fleet of excavation equipment dig the hole for the building. Um, I think other areas that are really interesting is in things like uh, revenue management. So the airlines, their pricing changes on a regular basis. And so we end up hiring some of the world's experts, literally the world leading experts in that space and saying, how do we take that and apply it to the world of apartments? And so there's, there's some companies that have done that and we're, we've done it as well but our pricing will change on a regular basis, optimizing for a lot of different factors that's happening in the economy. It takes a lot of data to make that happen, but it's super cool when it all comes together. So those are, those are a few different areas that we're working on. So are you buying third-party solutions where your software and developers then take that, customize it, or are they starting from scratch in many cases and customizing your own proprietary solution? Uh, it varies. Uh, so there are cases where it's, we start from scratch and build it all the way up. Uh, there's other cases that we buy it and kind of uh, piece it together. So we'll create the software that kind of integrates everything together. There's really no case. We, we, won't, we don't just take a piece of software and just sit on it and then use that. There's always something more we're building onto it and connecting it together. Is artificial intelligence built into this? Uh, not at Not a yet. deep level yet, but I actually was talking with our team this morning and they were, they're starting to piece that in there as well. Cause like in the design side, there's artificial intelligence now that you can use to come up with unique designs for buildings. The challenge is that I don't think those designs have thought through all the engineering aspects of a building, but they're starting to have conversations of, can we use that software tied in with our ex expertise and knowledge and engineering to actually generate designs using AI out of the gate. I think another one interesting is quantum uh, quantum computing. Computing, yeah. Because uh, really, when you really think about the world of architecture and, and buildings, it's an optimization problem. And if you think thoughtfully about an optimization problem, it's when you go in and design a new building, you start with one idea and then you iterate from that. But what happens if you the idea you've ha you started at isn't, you, you, you reach a local maximum from that idea, but there might be some global maximum that's over here on some other hillside that you want to maximize for. And so the, the strategy is to like randomly go around and search this landscape uh, for maximizing that. But I think if we can get our infrastructure and data to the right point, we'll be able to use quantum computers in the future as they scale up to do this optimization problem in a way that 
literally is not seen in an industry today. I tell you, Mike, I'm from IBM. And uh, if you ever want a quantum workshop mm. in our research building in New York, uh, let me know. I'll, oh, I'll I might take I, you up on that. That's amazing. What a, one of my favorite moments in my life was, it was IBM, actually. I was at uh, CES and they brought in their quantum or one of their quantum computers at the time. And just being able to stand there and talk with a couple of the engineers about it. Oh my gosh, it was it was uh, Tell me a when. moment I won't forget. Tell me when we'll do it. I mean, I, I have to say, I've done a couple of them. And you know, we send, usually spend about half a day and you get to talk to the researchers. And I promise you, by the time you leave that day, you'll be like, oh my goodness, we're, we're entering a whole new Mm. Uh, a whole new space here that we've never even thought about. And our philosophy around quantum computing is complementary to traditional computers today, not to replace them necessarily, because yeah. both are good for different types of uh, analysis. But anyway, the other thing we could probably help you with that, artificial intelligence uh, as well. But tell me a little bit about data. How are you using data uniquely? Yeah, so I think that the biggest challenge with data is getting the right data to the right person at the right time. Um, and so one of the first things that we're doing that's unique in the world of construction is, again, our teams have uh, tablets on site. And so they're collecting that data as like what tasks they're doing down to the minute. So they're collecting it every 10 to 15 minutes where they're at. And then we use that to analyze variations. And so if a particular kind of task is variating by five to 20 minutes, what's going on? How do we get that variation down? Uh, so that's one piece of it. And then what we do also is aggregate that all together to identify uh, potential trends, like potential risks. So one team like the carpenters, they need to produce their framing every five hours. But if we can identify early on that, oh, look at this, we've got something going on that they're not going to be able to hit that cycle time. We can actually take our team. We have a team that just specializes just in this. They'll go out and actually work with that group, identify what bottlenecks, what issues they're seeing to solve those uh, problems up front. Um, it's a lot, of, a lot of lean Six Sigma that I think is, is common in manufacturing. We're just applying it to the world of construction in a way that I don't think construction people have done before. Are you doing any smart apartments like iot uh, yeah yeah so we uh we actually bit, built out our own infrastructure for that we one of the things that drove me nuts about um uh smart apartments is you have an app and you click on the button on the app and your light switch your light you turn the light on and it maybe turns on a second maybe two seconds later Right, and to open that app is a whole process, as opposed to just going to a light switch, which is instantaneous and easy. And so, uh, we went so far as to develop our own um, protocols to actually eliminate that down to ten to fifteen milliseconds, as opposed to one to two thousand milliseconds. So, a whole interesting world there. But one thing I learned with smart home is that was a technology, a cool technology, that didn't really solve a user problem. So we ramped up substantially in smart home, built a lot of stuff out, and we've actually pulled back a little bit from that space um, simply because we saw the user adoption wasn't there like we thought it would be. It's interesting to me that there's not more smart buildings, but you may have just kind of described or defined why that's the case given the expense 
in the return on investment, but you'd think you'd want everything connected, except kind of like my, my Apple computers here. I put, you know, before we began this podcast, I put myself on do not disturb and it puts my phone, my laptop, my iPad on do not disturb. You think you could do that at a house. I'm locking the doors. It locks everything up. Uh, but wh- where is the, the gaps in terms of there isn't a market for it? So you, th- you want to think carefully about the problems you're solving with smart homes. So the common ones are light switch, thermostat, lock, maybe blinds. That's not so common in apartments, but um, maybe one or two others. So light switches, it's just super hard to beat a light switch, <laughs> right? It's so convenient. Maybe you can turn all the lights off at once. Maybe you want the lights to slowly turn on in the morning as you wake up, which I think is a compelling use case. We just didn't see a lot of adoption there. I think thermostats are interesting because you can do things like reduce your energy usage while you're out. You can control it remotely. I think one of the problems we find there is like the Nest thermostat, for example, it tries to learn your patterns, but if it hasn't learned your pattern quite right, you start to get frustrated with it because darn it, I want the temperature now at 72, so go set it at 72. And then three hours later, it reverts back to its pattern, which brings it back to 68. So now you're going back to the thermostat, you're adjusting it back to 72, (laughs) right? And unless it's perfect, then you start disabling all the smart features because you just just don't want to waste the time with it. Uh, I think the lock is a compelling use case. We want to eventually get it so the Apple Watch opens every single door to the apartments. Uh, We actually built out our own lock infrastructure. We partnered with the manufacturer to do that. Really interesting use case there. The challenge we ran into with Apple was that they don't have that uh, API fully opened up yet. And so it's been years of slowly opening it. So the technology isn't quite open enough to do to execute on that use case well yet. But I think it, I think it's coming. It just seems like it's so slow. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. the the Internet of Things that we've been talking about, and, you know, look, it's progressed. And some people, it depends on what side of the fence you're on. And we could think, ah, look, today from where it was 10 years ago, of course. But I really had expected, like, smart buildings by now, you know, being going up everywhere. And I think you're right. Um, well, I mean, I know you're right. Just I think I'm very there are, seldom see it. There, there are things that I think our buildings are a lot more smarter than they were a few years ago because they're, they're – there's a good use case for them. For example, unit submetering and leak detection. Um, another one is uh, all utilities, frankly, and then also internet. Uh, that's another big one to make that so you just move into an apartment and you've got immediate access to the internet you want. Um, so there, there's certain use cases that were really compelling that we ended up executing on. But yeah, some of the, the flashier user-facing ones ended up not... They may still come around, but as of right now, haven't been as as powerful as you would thought. I, I, mean, I feel like this is my experience that outside of the U.S., they're doing better with that. And I'll give you an example. Yeah. If I'm in New York, I wake up at 2 a.m., I look outside and the high rise right next to me still has lights on from top to bottom. I'm thinking, <laughs> and no, you know, nobody's there. I can see in the window. But, you know, when I like I was in Malaysia, I wake up and it's a bizarre thing because you're not used to that. At least you're in the U.S. I look out my window. I'm like, it's pitch black. And I'm like, where did that building go? And <laughs> it's because they shut it down, you know, and they turned off all the electricity. I just, you'd think there's a lot 
to be saved, particularly in the amount of energy and everything else like that, that we just haven't even scratched the surface on. Yeah. Seems to me. Well, and, and the other thing to think about is, is owners of those buildings, you're, you, you only have so much time and you want to solve the biggest problems first. And so something like uh, the amount of electricity used in your, in your space, maybe a small little line budget item compared to the big problems you're solving over yeah, here. True. And so maybe in a place like Malaysia, electricity is a lot more valuable compared to that other time spent. Where in New York, I could imagine investment bankers, that is just just not worth the, the minute they would think about it. <laughs> Sad, but probably true. Sad, but true. Look, is there anything we didn't talk about today? I would like, look, we could dive down a lot of this stuff, but just the way and the manner of which you're, you're changing the game here was very interesting to me. So that's why I spent so much time on it. Going into a, a discussion where we're going to talk about designing, building, and renting apartments, you, you never know, right? But uh, particularly, well, I'm, I'm doing a technology podcast, but what, what I think you've described is how to transform a business. Yeah. Uh, in any business that you're in. Anyway, awesome. Anything we didn't talk about that you would have liked to hit on? No, I, you know, maybe one other useful point worth noting for someone making that transformation is that anytime you start something new, you're terrible at it. And that's okay. It's part of the process, right? And one thing I've learned is to be really comfortable with my inexperience and knowing that I'm going to work past that and work through that because in the end, you're way better for it as a result. I think, but that goes back to my original question. I get it, but I got a buddy that's kind of in the, in the construction business and there's a lot of naysayers, meaning yeah. you can control the fact that, ah, I missed that one. But I'm still like interested in how do you get all the the rest of the organization to buy into it when they're like, I told you so. You know, you, you're going to kill you, us. You let the I told you so people go and you <laughs> people that are excited to be part of that vision. That's that's the only way to do it. You can't you can't turn turn those people around necessarily. That's tough, though, isn't it? I mean, yeah, look, we, people. Business. I mean, at one point we let six, like 60 or 70 percent of our staff go. It's tough, but it's transformation and, you know, other people get a chance. You seem very knowledgeable in the space. You had to get there. As I'm wrapping up here, how do you learn? And is there any methodology you have in terms of time setting aside? So like, like when we were talking about different things, obviously you've got the data on thermostats. You've got the data on all these different other areas. How many, how long it takes you to to complete a unit, et cetera. You're getting into the, the specifics so that you can better manage, which I love, but how do you find the time to do that with all the challenges that you have? Yeah, I, well, I think the best leaders and the best employees are the ones that try to understand as much as they can. If you're too narrowly focused, you're not going to be able to understand how to piece the pieces together. For me, um, this might sound like an exaggeration, but it's not. I spend about 20 hours of my own free time uh, just in ed education every single week. So how do you fit it in? It's things like listening to podcasts or books during my exercise or during my car or when I'm driving to work. Uh, another one for me is it's amazing how much you can learn on YouTube. Uh, and uh, and every night as I'm going to bed, like I'll watch YouTube before falling asleep or maybe after I wake up in the morning, kind of getting ready in the morning. 
Um, and I'll, I'll study a wide breadth of things like uh, quantum mechanics, like we talk about quantum computing or <laughs> physics I really enjoy or mathematics or statistics or um, it might be politics or things going on in the world so you get a good idea what's going there. And I think the other piece beyond just learning is being willing to get dirty and curious. And so uh, getting in there with the team is getting to the depth, asking enough questions so you can understand the problems they're facing so you can help them better. You can't be afraid to do that. That's all good advice. I, I got a follow-up question though. Now I have to ask yeah. you. I do many of the things that you're asking. I think leaders have to, particularly um, particularly like listening to audiobooks while I'm driving, which my wife goes crazy over. Now. It's like, <laughs> oh my God, you're killing me. <laughs> and then the next, you know, when I'm working out, I'm always listening to, to something as much as I can. Because you might as well get two things done at once. Exactly. However, what I was about to say, and do you ever get a break is the question. Because sometimes, I mean, my I am guilty. Sometimes I'm like, I'm always like, I'm running on a podcast. My wife will tell me, and she's the voice of reason. You know, you love music. Why don't you, this time you just listen to some music and relax that brain of yours? What do you do to get a break? I, you know, I think that maybe I was just born a little bit weird in that I really don't need much of a break in my life. In fact, in some ways, like if I go on a vacation, it it's a few hours and I go crazy. <laughs> I can't sit and just do nothing. So that that's maybe part of the answer. Um, I think another part is, is, is family. Um, like I come home, I make sure I'm home at the same time every day. Make sure when I get home with my kids, I'm hundred percent focused with them. And there, there's a bit of a mind break in there because of that. But I think for me, we talked about my dad's death and that reminded me of how short life really is. We only live about 5,000 weeks here on earth. And so I asked myself, what do I want to do with my time? How do I want to spend the minutes I have here on earth? And for me, the answer to that question is that I want to make a meaningful, positive impact in the world. So if I know that's what I want to achieve, then I'm going to take every step today and tomorrow and the next day in alignment with trying to make that kind of achievement. Awesome. See, this this is like a self-help podcast at this point. <laughs> nice, nicely done, man. Is there a uh, a book that you recommend most? Yeah, Netflix, uh, uh, there, No Rules, Rules by Reed Hastings. Amazing it. book. Yes, it is a good book. It is a good book. I find, you know what the funny thing is? I was listening to a podcast, and I'm going to mess this up as well, so pardon listeners. But um, on the the HR leader that created the Netflix culture deck. And she, it was, you know, she talks about how aggressive Netflix is on performance and stuff. And yeah, they, they pay the most, but they want a players. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, you know, if, if you're a B player, that's okay, but it's probably meant for another company type deal. Exactly. The interesting thing is, and I, I'm almost certain I'm not getting this wrong because I remember the podcast she got let go too at one point in time. Oh yeah. I think you're right. It Reed let her go because he had said that she had hit her plateau at Netflix and said, look, 
you know, we're looking for something else now and you need to be too, because you've, you've done all you can here. Mm-hmm. And so she had to embody the Netflix culture deck that she had created. I thought that was a very interesting scenario in that regard. Yeah. That's so powerful. I love that. Anyway, that's pretty cool. Thank you for being here. Uh, Mike, this is great. Um, where can folks reach you and reach, um, your company Norhart? Yeah. The best place is to visit our website, norhart.com. That's N O R H A R T.com. Maybe one fun thing is we actually have our own podcast called zero to unicorn. It's about the journey of small businesses growing to billion dollars scale. And, uh, we're, we have some incredible guests coming up, including one that we recorded recently with the originator and the executive producer of Batman. And it took him 10 years of hard work to finally get Batman on the big screen. So his story is really interesting and coming up soon. Fantastic. I'll listen. Are you the host? Yes. Is that why you got a big mic like I got right? So I, you can't see my mic, but it, it's underneath. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, uh, we do this for uh, news broadcasts and when I'm the host of a podcast or when I'm on a podcast like yours. Okay, one more. I mean, wh- why are you doing so many podcasts? Why does it mean so much for you to be socially out there to, you know, spreading your way of doing things, your transformation? I get the learning part, but why is it important you to also spread your message? So most businesses understand the importance of dollars and cents in their business, right? The cash flow. And most businesses, I think, also understand the importance of another kind of currency, but they don't really deeply act upon it. And that's the currency of attention. To give you some sense of this, uh, Gordon Ramsay, world famous chef with Hell's Kitchen, uh, has restaurants in Las Vegas. If you go to his restaurants, they have lines out the door, half an hour or 45 minutes for a restaurant called Burger. His Hell's Kitchen restaurant is like a month or two booked out in advance. But the crazy thing is, when you look across the aisle, same casino, same quality food, same kinds of staff, same location, but the other restaurants have way less customers. What's the difference? Gordon Ramsay has built a no like, and trust with the general public that those other restaurants just haven't done. And so it's been a realization of mine over the last year or two that that having that makes a lot of business things easier from renting to employees to even investors. And so that's why we've started uh, working to build that among the public. Fantastic answer, man. You're good at this. You'd be good at podcasting. I'm sure your podcast is great. I'm going to listen as well. Listeners, Mike Acadian here, CEO of Norhart. It was a great discussion. A little bit of everything, a little bit of business, a lot of business, a little bit of transformation, a little bit of technology and some self-help or some, yeah, some, some values or a lot about values along the way. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. This is fun. Listeners, I appreciate you being here. Hit us on almartintalksdata at gmail.com. We'll always listen to you, get the next person that you'd like to have on. And until next time, I'll see you on the podcast. See you all.